Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. This is going to be a very difficult podcast to contain. We've got an American League Central podcast. We've got an American League Central podcast to do with me and J.J. having done organizations in the American League Central. Pending is an American League West podcast that Matt, Eddie, and I will do next week. And then pending after that, I think we're going to do this, J.J. I think we're going to go ridiculously crazy on the Rule 5 draft. Cause the you're having, Rule to, you're having fever, to restrain me, because I'm like I am. going insane on the Rule 5 draft. Rule 5 fever has swept the office, and I think we're going to try a Google Hangout little Rule 5 discussion. That uh, will be fun. That, I think that will be our we're, – we're, we have a Google Plus page now. If you are on Google Plus, or let's be honest, or if you're not Google, on Google Plus, if you're on Google, Google yeah. you're, you're pretty much on Google Plus. If you use Google Mail, you're on Google Plus whether you know it or not. And so we're starting to kind of put some stuff, some content on there. We also have our Facebook page, obviously. We also have our Twitter feed. But, again, the more ways we can get you, you know, really a lot. there's going to be some cool things like, again, the Google Plus Hangout so you can watch kind of live as we do the uh, – uh, it's going to be a video podcast if you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I think we're just going to have a little video roundtable. A little video roundtable, take some questions, discuss Rule 5 picks, Get way too excited about the Rule 5 draft, which is the, honest, it's we, the beauty of it. We, we, it's th- there's a couple of reasons that we go insane about it. One is is that it's always fascinating when you're talking about basically free talent. Right. And that's what we're talking about here. Because at this you point... $25,000, $50,000 is free. But it really, and it's really $25,000. Right. Because if you keep your 50000 that means that you, if you pay 50000 you got a major league player out That's there. right. Or they didn't take them back. Yeah, fifty thousand dollars for Ryan Flaherty was definitely worth it for the uh, you know for the Baltimore Orioles, who traded Robert Andino, who was their competition really for Ryan Flaherty. This is assuming Brian Roberts does not ever return. Assuming Brian Roberts return, or that they actually make it. Not that there's many guys out there, but or that they don't make a move on the free agent market. Probably. Right for now, Ryan Flaherty, uh, Rule Five draft uh, pick, uh, who sure. started in the playoffs. Sure every day. He bestrides the colossus that is the uh, Orioles' second base job. So so really, I, I was going to say until really Jonathan Scope comes is, up. I was going to say that the there is no one who in their farm system who you say, well, that guy's ready to compete for. The yeah, their Triple A second baseman just got uh, banged for PEDs, Ryan Adams. Yeah. So <laughs> he doesn't have that. My, my point is his competition keeps dropping off. But this is all for the Rule Five podcast, that which, as you can see, that. we're going to have a lot of stuff for this Google Hangout. I think we're excited to try it. So I'll give it a whirl, and why, why not? Try Google the, the Rule Five Draft and Google Plus have similar levels of interest, and they should be two great tastes that go great together. But and this podcast, go, we'll well, have go ahead. Plenty of information out there before it happens, so you can know where it is, all that kind of stuff. Just uh, save It'll the story, which by the time this podcast is over, we'll be finishing saving in our content management system. <laughs> but our first part, Rule, Rule Five Preview Version 1.0, is going live now, as is our American League. West issue just going to bed, and if you subscribe to the Baseball America Digital Edition, whether on your iPad or other tablets, uh, that's going to be uh, coming out sooner than later. So we, before the ALS comes out, let's talk about the American League Central, JJ, and let's let's start with the organizations that we don't do. Okay. I think one common theme of the AL Central, JJ, is not good farm systems. Uh, the White Sox. A, this has been a common theme for the AL Central for a while now, has it not? It seems like it's it has been. When it comes to farm systems. When it comes to, at the big league level, there are the Tigers and the White Sox and everyone else. When it comes to farm systems in the AL Central for a while, it's been there are the Royals and then there's everyone else. Pretty much, especially in the last few years, obviously the Royals of the year with nine you know, top 100 prospects. 
hasn't borne out for them at the major league level yet. But let, let's start with the White Sox and Tigers because they have been. Those are the two teams who've been the, the <laughs> beast me. of the Central. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the Twins have won. The Mentral of the Central. I, don't know <laughs> I think the Twins won, what, five or six divisions in the last decade? They've won the right. division five or six times. But the Tigers and the White Sox have had the biggest payrolls most of those years. And uh, obviously the White right. Sox coming off a World Series. I mean, the, the Tigers coming off a World Series appearance. They've won two pennants. The, the White Sox won a World Series in that span. And the Twins, I think, have only won one playoff series. I think the Tigers and the White Sox, consistent contenders, consistently spend a lot of money. And, and especially uh, just also in, in throwing recent history in it, the, the Twins have hit a, a very significant downturn. Oh, yeah, very rough patch is the uh, – is that the White Sox and the Tigers, when they have developed prospects, J.J., they're not afraid to move them quickly. They've accelerated a lot of guys, so they don't necessarily always have good farm system rankings, but it doesn't mean they haven't had some productivity in their farm systems. I'm looking at the Tigers, for example. We never were really high on Alex Avila. He was a fifth-round pick out of college. He wasn't even ranked in the Eastern League top 20 that year. I remember the Tigers were really frustrated by that. But he zoomed to the big leagues and had a big year in 2011. Not so much in 2012, but you know they, they've had they had some other players. Who, Rick Porcello was only in the minor leagues for one year. Uh, the guys like Ryan Perry that they drafted and stuck straight in the big leagues. Now back in the minor, but they've had a lot of players. They've moved very quickly through their minor league system, and trade they've traded other prospects because they're really on a, a win before Mike Illich is out of here. Well, and the White Sox story can be somewhat. Very similar because you're talking about Alexei Ramirez did not <laughs> Alexei Ramirez did not rank in their system very long because it was right. a signed big leaguer Gordon Beckham, Gordon Daniel Beckham Hudson, signed big leaguer Chris Sale, Diane Vicieto. I mean they they have had some productivity. Their best prospects have flown through quickly, and and the White Sox I think more than almost anyone the White Sox generally if it's they have a couple of guys that they're like okay this guy is going to be a, a, a very important guy for us. Everyone else. Is available. <laughs> it sure seems that way. And uh, give them credit again for developing. And we wrote an article in this magazine uh, that Mark Gonzalez of the Chicago Tribune did about their ability to develop pitching. And uh, whether it's their own guys like Nathan Jones, took a little while to percolate for him, but really good contributor in their big league bullpen. Or other teams' talent, Jose Quintana, um, who they got as a, was not counted as a minor league free agent because they put him on the major league roster. A uh, 40-man contract. That was a great scouting job. That was great scouting. Guy pitched in Tampa for the Yankees in 2011, high class A. Was a minor league free agent. They took him as a. They signed him to a big league deal, guaranteed him a spot on the 40-man roster. He paid what, like six or seven starts in Double A, and then pitched in the big leagues pretty much the rest of the year, and was very effective for them. So pretty, they're adept at developing pitching, JJ, and yet it's kind of the toolsy, athletic hitters who are all over their uh, their top ten. Mm-hmm. Guys who used to have tools like Jared Mitchell and still trying to show, trying to still see what kind of player Jared Mitchell is, and then younger guys like uh, Trace Thompson, of course, Mr. Backflip himself, Courtney Hawkins. It seems like a better top ten than it was last year. Right, no, last year they were thirty. Last year there were thirty teams. They were we had them thirtieth in our organizational rankings, and I, I don't think there was a whole lot of debate in our office about that. I mean, no. La- the best way to sum up last year's top thirty for the White Sox was is that Nestor Molina <laughs> went from being he was traded from the Blue Jays to the White Sox. He went from being the Blue Jays' number 18 prospect right. to being the White Sox' number two. That's that a was, good memory on your that, part. That was a way to, to sum up just how thin the system was. If you look at it this year, still thin. Yeah. But I, I, I'll put it this way. Andre uh, Renzo, number seven prospect on this list. Nestor Molina last year versus Andre Renzo this year. 
not a whole lot of difference. I agree. No, I agree. And that's, not much of a difference there. Those guys are very similar. That's a good point. Uh, I think the biggest difference, JJ, is that this year the, the White Sox spent in the draft. I'll tout this again. I bet Jim Callis the White Sox would spend in this year's draft because Jerry Reinsdorf helped. You know, he he was involved in this in putting together the rules for this draft. And Jim said, no, they won't spend in this draft. They never spend. And I I bet him uh, a lunch that it would be a, they'd spend 90% of their bonus uh, allotment, and they spent exactly 100% of their bonus allotment. We allotted so it. We'll I, spend it. I won. That's exactly it. And that's, that's going to make a big difference for the White Sox going forward because they were known as – they were the team who – Skinflints in the draft. They were the team, if you were an agent, you didn't want your player picked in the first round by the White Sox because you knew more than almost anyone else – you weren't going to get an extra, you know, two million out of them. You were going to get, if you got slot, you did well. Right. Yeah. The White Sox. I, I think the White Sox in general have drafted pretty well when you consider how little they've had to spend. They're a, a front office that's had a pretty antagonistic relationship with the Boris Corporation. So in the draft, they really haven't drafted a high a Boris client very often. They don't usually consider the high Boris clients, or in past drafts where a Boris client was falling in the draft because of his difficult signability. That's just not something the White Sox were able to do. So uh, it, it limited their pool. They signed a lot of big league free agents, so they lost first-round picks. Um, it's just I think they've drafted pretty well considering the obstacles that they've had. So, so who do you like? Uh, I'll start it off by saying who's your guy, top ten, or even going beyond. The, who, who's someone on this list that you really like? Well, I, I like the fact that they drafted Chris Beck. Uh, we actually ran the wrong photo in the magazine. I hope we ran the right one in this magazine as a correction. Uh, but I know we ran the right one online. Yeah. Um, but I, I like Chris Beck um, just because I like the fact that doing draft report cards and talking to the White Sox about him, they think they know why he went backwards, Lo- gained weight, and lost his arm slot, lost a little uh, – lost a little – uh, basically speed of his arm. His arm is not as quick as it used to be. They thought because they, they thought those were problems that could be addressed. Right. So that's, I mean, and that's to me, that's always the first step on something is when a guy, when something goes wrong, do you have an idea of what went wrong? Right. I don't Now, Do I think that Chris Beck will ever be sitting 96, 97, like he was in part of the Cape Cod league summer in 20, uh, 2011 and in the fall with an 89 mile an hour cutter slash slider, I don't think that guy is coming back, but that and gives I, you some margin for and error. That guy, uh, to you, be honest, that guy wasn't. That guy, that's a very small snippet of of Beck's. Well, he did it for like three months. He did it in the summer, and then he did it in fall practice. He was, and he, right, and he was what, a legitimate first ten overall pick. He, he was. What I'm saying is, is that pitching every fifth day, sure, good unlikely to see him doing that. I got you in a pro in a pro environment. I think that he was. Said, I think yeah, he was he, every fifth day in the Cape, though. Right. That's I think true. he was on a tighter but, schedule in the Cape. But I, I, I see. But I see your point. I think that's a worthwhile point to make. Uh, but I think is this a guy who can sit 92, 94, so he could pitch with a six fastball, and can also pitch with a six slider. Uh, I think that is. I think Chris Beck can be that guy. Uh, and, and I do think he has a chance to start. He's in the right spot on this top ten in my mind at number ten because that's not who he was after he signed right. either. But uh, I, I was encouraged by the fact that he pitched okay and competed in the uh, Pioneer League, which is a tough place for pitchers. There is upside there. So he's kind of my pick to click. I, I really liked him out of high school. I liked him at Georgia Southern, especially emerged as a sophomore. And I was really disappointed that his junior year went the way it went. But I, I'm sure not as disappointed as Chris Peck. 
You can probably guess who I'm going to say. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm avoiding Carlos Sanchez. I know he's your he's your he's your cheese I, ball. I'm, 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 a, I'm a Carlos Sanchez fan. I don't know I, how you say cheese ball, uh, b- uh, pelota de queso. Yeah. In uh, <laughs> in Espanol, I guess is what it would be. But I, I I'm a Sanchez fan. Um, I remember April May of this year, you know, talking to some guys. You know, I went up to. Uh, I want to say I went to maybe it was a went to a Winston Salem game or something. But it was like, hey, I think you did. The, the you were rousted guy. from the press box because it no, was, that was last year. Last oh, year, okay. was, but this is uh, you know, but but hearing hey the Sanchez guy here, he's he's one of the better guys we've had come through here, and the thing that stands out about him he, is you don't know what position he's going to end up at. I mean, is he going to be a plus defender or maybe plus plus defender at second, or is he going to be a, a solid shortstop? I mean, I think that's really what you're talking about. Gets on base, can hit a little bit. I think that you know it may not fit with the White Sox because that's actually one kind of area that the White Sox are are still kind of set at, unless they're, you know, unless you have some questions about Gordon Beckham long term. And, and those are uh, those are valid questions I think to have about Gordon Beckham. He just hasn't quite done it. Phil, so. He hasn't followed up what he did. You know, it's, it, you mentioned with Avila, it's like it, it struck me. It's like now Alex Avila didn't have this kind of drop off, but. But Avila had the great rookie year and dropped off, and then you're, when a catcher kind of flares up, pops up like that, and then you, you worry a little bit. It's like, I hate to say it, but Giovanni Soto. You don't want to yeah. see a guy you know, who's like, wow, that was a great year, and then it, you never get that back. Gordon Beckham's another guy, great rookie year, and has really not been that good since. Sanchez is a guy, though, to me, who, who's going to be a solid big league regular. I don't think he's going to be a star, but you know, he's number three prospect on this list, so it's not exactly right. – I'm not going too much on a limb there. I will say also, Jared Mitchell, I've talked to scouts who see Mitchell as they think he's going to be a solid big leaguer down the road. They think it's going to take a long time, even though the White Sox, who move guys as fast, if not faster than anyone, basically took Mitchell off of a terrible year in the Carolina League last year, promoted him to double-A after he hit 240, you know, with other peripheral numbers were pretty good at Double A Birmingham, they sent him up to Triple A this year. If you'd have told me at the start of the year that Jared Mitchell would play in Triple A in 2012, I would not have believed you in any way, shape, or form. I, yeah, completely. When I saw him late in the year, I remember talking to a couple of scouts and be like, "What do you think of him even being in this league and internationally?" I was kind of hoping that he would make that he would qualify so he could see if he could make the international league top 20 prospects because the list was so thin. And they were both like. Yeah, he's just not what I expected him to be because he still has lost that athletic. Right, he's, he's still not, getting back some of that athletic. I, I I've, I've talked to scouts who think, you know what, that's not what he's going to be. Like, right. They think that there's going to be some power there. The guy, he does not physically match this, but I'm going deep back here. And it, but the guy that strikes me as is, and this may not be a great great news for Jerry Mitchell, but a guy who, who strikes me as like, okay, what could he end up being? Who is the guy of the Blue Jays in the, the Mets in the Jeff Kent trade? Way back. Ryan Thompson? Ryan Thompson. Wow. That's, wow, interesting. That's like just something off the top of my head that, you know, like a guy who's – talk about his speed, but really the speed doesn't end up being a, a big part of his game. Right. But he ends up having a little bit of power. Strikeouts are always kind of the concern. Yeah, this could – it really does seem like that. that is kind of what I got on him in the IL was that Jared Mitchell could be a guy who draws some walks. He could just basically be a somewhat athletic three true outcomes guy. Draws right. walks, who, strikes out. Hits 20 home runs, probably hits 240. Right. And that – That could be a regular. That might be a second division regular. Yeah, that's a borderline. I mean, it's not something 
It's the White Sox list. You're not. I'll, I'll put it this way: you're not expecting more than that at number nine pick. You know, and hey, in the cell in that ballpark, that might be that might be more home runs. Might be a lot more home runs. So I think Trace Thompson. We should wrap this yeah. up. But Trace Thompson's another guy. He's number two on the list. There was some buzz on him in the Arizona Fall League. JJ, I wasn't sure if you talked to anyone in the Fall League about him, just about where Trace Thompson uh, winds up. It still seems like he's a very much of a split camp guy because the athleticism and the big strikeouts. Yeah, and and the worry I have again. It's very hard with these guys. It's kind of like uh, the old Mets syndrome where (laughs) you never knew what to do with Mets prospects because it's like it was always like, well, this guy looked really overmatched. Of course, he's also, you know, he's 18 and he's playing against 24 year olds. So I don't know what he's, you know, what to make of that. Right. Trace Thompson started the year in high A, which makes sense. Had a pretty solid season, but with a lot of holes there. I mean, he struck out 144 times. In 449 bats in high A. He definitely got hot. I know when he left high A, he was really on a roll. He was really hot. They sent him to Birmingham. I don't know if he got a chance to unpack when he was right. in Birmingham. He was in Birmingham, and they sent him on to AAA, well, the, the, where he was out overmatched. Yeah, Charlotte, Charlotte was in the playoffs or headed for the right. playoffs. And, and they uh, put everyone there. One of my favorite stories about Charlotte this year was how they, they really needed to win the division because if they'd only won the, the wild card they would have been home at the wrong time. They would have been home during the uh, Democratic National Convention, and it would have been impossible for them yeah. to get hotel rooms. So they had to win the division. So they hadn't made the playoffs in a long time, but if you're going to make it of all years, maybe you don't make it in the year that the Democratic National Convention is in your hometown. And uh, things yeah. worked out, though, for them and, and for their uh, tr- broadcaster slash travel uh, secretary, Matt Swearad. Uh, moving on the podcast to the American League Central, J.J. Ben Ballard did a nice piece in this issue about the Indians – up online and, at, at baseballamerica.com. And their their uh, decade long really inability to draft players who contribute to their major league team. Um, apparently, they designated Matt Laporta for assignment this week, so if they're they pretty much washing their hands, yeah. kind of washing their hands of that Cesar Sabathia trade that just did. And then they have Michael Brantley, but that deal didn't work out. They've traded well, and a lot of times, and yet they have these two. Cy Young Award winners they traded where they didn't get much return at all on CC Zabathia and Cliff Lee. So between who, those trades... Who, besides Michael Brantley, who's the second best guy do you think they got? Lou Marson? I just forget who else. Uh, I guess Lou Marson or Jason Donald. Uh, who else? Oh, Carlos Carrasco is still a, a TBA. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's no, that's yeah, a problem. That's a, that's a problem that he's still TBA. But it's just that's how you wind up with a roster like the Indians wound up with. Uh, the chart that we didn't end up using, but the Ben, we, used online, though. Did, we did use it online. Uh, out since basically outside of Jeremy Guthrie, the player they've drafted in the last decade who's accumulated the most career wins above replacement, according to BaseballReference.com, were what Kevin Kuzminoff and Jason Kipnis. And there was a reliever in there too. Vinny Pastana was third, I believe. Uh, Tony Sip is also in there. But that's it. And so Ben just you compared can't. that in the last decade. Okay, let's compare it to a team that's won the last two of the last. Three World Series in San Francisco and compare it. Now, obviously, San Francisco has bigger resources, but one of the reasons they do is because they they make. They, Fifteen years ago, the, the Indians were a big market team, and the White Sox, I mean, and the, and the and the Giants couldn't spend any money. But the other thing with that though is just that when it comes to the draft, I do not I buy yep. the money big argument. resources things when it comes to the draft. I buy Good it completely point. when you talk about free agency. But if you said who are the teams that are throwing money around the draft in recent years, you could say the Red Sox, sure. You could say in some little bit the Yankees, but not nearly as much. But, but the, Royals the, Royals the, the Royals and Pirates. The Royals and Pirates spent more money than anybody. If the Royals and Pirates 
if it if they're not being priced out of this market, you're right. You're not being priced out. And the problem beyond that is is that now that the Indians are what you would consider, you know, not market, small revenue team because yeah, they are a small right. revenue team now. With that being the case, you can't do that if you're not if you aren't bringing in young inexpensive talent, you end up where the Indians are right now. That's it. Uh, that's a great way to put it. And, and, and there's not a whole lot here right now. We, I think we both love number one on this list. Yep, we're both on Lindor train. After that, uh, to put it this way, number four prospects Cody Allen, who had a really, I mean, a great story, made it up to the big leagues. He's a cheese ball. He's a, he's uh, a John Manuel personal cheese ball. No and doubt. he could end up being their closer. But at the same time, that's 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 not a guy you you know that that's probably a guy if he said he was at number seven on the list I'd probably feel a little better. I completely agree. I'd feel much better if he were like eight, nine, ten. And, and let's throw this in there: they didn't even protect their number nine prospect, Jesus Aguiar, the mammoth first baseman who you know he only hit 15 home runs this year. If you're going to be a power guy, you'd like to see him hit more and than 15. I, and he hit 23 last year. To me, this is more. This says more of. What about what the Indian system's like right now? Then it is. I don't think they're going to lose Aguiar in the Rule Five because it's just so it's so hard to carry a guy like that. To, to put it in comparison, okay, think of first baseman who are out there in the Rule Five. We're not going to make this a Rule Five, but like you compare a guy like Chris <laughs> McGinnis to him. Right. Chris McGinnis has or Mark Krause or Mark Krause. Both of those guys have upper level minor league time, much more than Aguiar does, and also probably a little bit more athletic. But even for any first baseman that you carry as a Rule 5 pick, the reality is, is it's tough because that's all he does. I mean, in right. Aguiar's case, that's all he does. Right. So you're not going to say, well, we can get him in as a defensive replacement in late innings, or we can pinch run with him, things like that. But more than anything, the reality is, is that you don't think Jesus Aguiar is going to be an impact player if you're willing to run that risk. Yeah, the guy that I think is the, 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 the guy to watch in that top ten to me Besides Dorsus Paulino, who's second and is a, a very toolsy, uh, is Danny Salazar. He sounds interesting. I, anytime I see a pitcher that has a scouting report of 100 miles an hour in the scouting report and he's reached double A, there's and injury he, and issues. He throws strikes. Right, there's injury issues. He hasn't been healthy for a full season. I think his career high is 107 innings. But a live arm guy who's reached double A, he's interesting. To me, Danny Salazar is the guy who I'm kind of most intrigued I, I'll by. I'll tie it with to a you know guy I wrote up for many years, but. A lot of Danny Salazar's scouting report, except for Kelvin Herrera's secondary stuff, better. But yeah, if you wrote up when I wrote up Kelvin Herrera a year ago, who was the number seven prospect in the Royals list, there's a lot of similarities because, like Salazar, Herrera's a guy who could run up to 100 who had a, had a lot of injury problems. Really, the question was, could he stay healthy? Right. Well, Herrera's now stayed healthy for two years in a row, and he's you know a back end of the bullpen guy for the Royals in the big leagues and touched mm-hmm. 100. And, that, that's a pretty that's a pretty good comp and, to throw and out there. Salazar made it through. 88 innings last year. If he can do that again this year, then you start to say, well, you know, maybe the injury kind of problems are behind him a little bit. But not not a great system and uh, just dis- difficult so, to see. So who, yeah, I was going to say, so Salazar's kind Salazar's of Salazar's my, my kind of deep sleeper there. I wasn't sure. If deeper in their organization, not in their top ten. I kind of like the Giovanni Ursula kid, the Colombian guy who was here at mm-hmm. Carolina. Uh, for some reason, he's intriguing to me. Uh, I think more, mostly because he's not, <laughs> this is not a – Flattering comparison. He sounds like the Colombian version of Brett Morrell. <laughs> I was never a Brett Morrell fan, so I don't like him either. I guess. Exactly. Um, if I'm going to have to, you know, to pull out a, uh, you know, a, a guy, this is this one's a little tougher uh, to be honest it is with you. Tougher. But 
I, I would probably say I, I liked him last year. I'll still stay on him a little bit as Ronnie Rodriguez. Yeah. Because if if Ronnie Rodriguez, it's funny he's he's in a thin organization, and the funny thing about that is though is, is he happens to play positions that it's going to be a little tough for him to uh, to break into the big leagues because he Lindor's that you know he's he's basically been moving up with Francisco Lindor and uh, Lindor's better. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So a lot of his value might be diminished because he might not be a shortstop because he's coming up with Francisco Lindor. Now, we want to talk about farm systems that are a little bit barren. Uh, the White Sox. I mean, the White, the White Sox. The Tigers. I keep confusing these two teams. Uh, the Tigers. The, JJ, to me, this this short version is the Tigers have a, a top three that's right there with anybody's. I mean, it's not the it's not top shelf elite top three. But you're not going to complain about any of these. But I'm not going to complain about Castellanos, Nick Castellanos, we, we, I think we both Garcia. really like because Castellanos can hit. And I that's enjoy key, that's an important part of being a hit a position prospect. Absolutely, I enjoy my Moises Alou comp. Uh, I, I think it works on Nick Castellanos. Um, Avisayo Garcia, who we all saw in the postseason, who was, you know, I think impressed everybody with at that size his athleticism, the way he ran, and, and his polish, really good at bats for a guy who you know walked all of 21 times in the reg and during the season in the regular season, counting the big leagues and the minors, he was pretty patient and he just he swung at strikes in the postseason, drew some walks. Granted, he was almost always facing left-handed pitchers. But that was pretty encouraging. I I thought that his look in the postseason for Detroit was very good. Oh, I agree. And then Bruce Rondone, who we got on last year, was a pretty interesting case last year. I think we wound up dropping him out of the top ten last year because of his size. Um, he but, is a mammoth human being. But but this is a guy who finished this year in AAA, now number three, their number three prospect. What do we list him at? 271. That must be on the Instructs roster. Mm-hmm. But Bruce Rondone uh, throws more than 100 miles an hour, 103 during the Futures game. So this is a guy who, to me, that's a good number three. After that, J.J., mm-mm, Mojo, mm-mm. I'll put it after that. Okay, like, if you said who do I like best in the rest of this one, you know, as far as, and not even like he should be number four or anything, but I think Tyler Collins could be a, a backup outfitter. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Tyler Collins is had to jump in there quick because there's not a whole you lot. You did. You preempted my Tyler Collins. We both like Tyler Collins. Why do we like Tyler Collins? I I, I think he can. I, I think he can swing the bat a little bit. He gets on base, and he's got enough athleticism to. Again, I, maybe he doesn't fit the fourth outfielder profile really because. Yeah, you wanna you wanna see a little bit. Usually, that fourth outfitter needs to to run a little better, be a little bit more of a you right. know, guy who can play center, which I don't think is Tyler Collins. But I guess a better way to put it, he does bat left-handed. Maybe he's a platoon outfitter. Be a you know, way to put it. the comp in there that uh, Ben Badler threw in there was, or not Ben, was Ben or Connor? Connor. Connor, Connor threw in a uh, poor man's Jason Kubel. I kind of you know he because he's a Tiger. He reminds me a little bit of Cody Ross. Uh, when you read about him and the way Cody Ross produced. Now, Cody Ross ran better, I think, than Tyler Collins. But Tyler Collins did steal 20 bases. But yeah. Cody Ross was always a little undersold. That kind of grinder can hit, hard-nosed guy. You, you can have Tyler Collins, too. We'll share him because there's not a whole lot of other guys to choose from him. I just wish there was someone else. I even, like, you know, actually coming into this year, I wanted to like Dixon Machado. But Dixon Machado, whom they just protected on their 40-man roster, had the worst OPS in the entire Florida, Florida State, State League, League among and qualifiers. And that's saying something because the Florida State League was full of really good glove shortstops who could not hit. And he was one of the best gloves and the worst hitter. Yeah. Ronnie Gill's like, oh, no, 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 I can hit compared to uh, – <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, JJ, a quick question from uh, 
one of our listeners, uh, this for future reference, obviously, because by the time you download this one, you'll have the answer to this. How long does it usually take between post-production on a podcast and, and it getting uh, loaded up? Now? Um, now that we have the new podcast nook, unless there's unless we record it last thing in the night, usually it can try to get up in about 30 minutes. Okay. So so that, that's good news. I think some people could have it for their travel tonight, which we obviously are <laughs> recording it, but... Um, for future reference, when we, usually when we get that done and it's not the last thing we do during the day, it gets up there pretty quickly. Uh, JJ, is there another? Uh, that, that's the AL Central non-John and JJ Top 30 edition. Which of our Top 30s okay, so uh, do you want to talk about well, first? Well, let's, let's first, uh, we can do an organizational question with it first. Sure. We, okay. Of Let's first do it. We'll, we'll break down the three we just went through. Which system do you like the best? They're all pretty bad. I think I like Detroit because I go for star power. I don't like their four through ten very much, but I would take that top three over everybody else's pretty much pretty easily. And uh, I like Courtney Hawkins. I like Trace Thompson to an extent and Carlos Sanchez, but so many more questions there than I have for Detroit. So I'll, I will vote for Detroit because I, I do think they've got two regulars and an impact reliever that I'm I'm quite confident in, those three guys. Yeah, I I want to, you know, it'd make better podcast radio if I disagree with you, but I do think I would say if you're asking me to rank it, because when you're talking about thin systems like these, I, to me, I'm going to gravitate to what's at the top. Yeah, I'm going to go Tigers because Castellanos, I, I think Castellanos, I always like when I hear about a guy, a prospect, a hitting prospect, who when they say, you know, his he really likes – if it, they pitch him away, he's just going to basically serve yeah. up doubles the other way yeah. over and over. And he's got power the opposite. Right. Side. That guy, I usually, if you have a guy like that, I know when he got up to double A, he wa- didn't walk a lot, struck out a ton. Right. You, well, you know it what? It got a lot worse when he moved to the, when he moved to the outfield. To right. Double A, when he, he was, was playing third base, he was okay. When he went to the outfield, it really created. He, he was adjusting to a new position. Excuse me. I don't think that's going to be a long-term problem for him, and I do think that he's a natural hitter. Where do you think he winds up on a team that just signed Torrey Hunter to play right field, and it has Avisel Garcia? Do you think that Nick Castellanos winds up back at third base in say 2014, when yeah. I think Victor Martinez, I think Victor Martinez's contract actually still goes on past that. Uh, I think it's so a nettlesome issue for them. I think he ends up back at. I think I talked to enough guys in Florida State League who thought he could play third, third base. base. And I've talked to actually a couple of guys who saw him in the outfield who said, I don't really like him in the outfield. Right. I, I think third base is probably his more natural position. It, he could end up being a guy that sometimes guys get screwed also. I mean, there's no other way to put it. <laughs> That's true, too. You know, sometimes you get stuck <clears throat> in an organization where your best position isn't where they need, and you get forced to try to, you know, yeah. get through without it. Yeah, that's Nick Castellanos right now. So but it, I still, I'd say Tigers. I'd say Indians behind that because Francisco Lindor is better than anyone else in these two. And there are some intriguing guys like we talked about: Sanchez, Rodriguez, Paulino. There are some younger Latin American products but, I think who are intriguing and, there. And I put White Sox behind that. But I'll say this: if you told me when we got done doing the org rankings that we had those one after another after another, yep. if you told me that the Tigers were 26, you know, in baseball and the Indians were 27th, and the White Sox were 28th. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all. wouldn't shock me at all. Yep, that's a great way to put it. Meanwhile, J.J., the, the Royals. Let's start off with the Royals. We'll start with okay. we'll start with Kansas City. We'll go in alphabetical order. This is not the farm system that it was two years ago when they had nine top 100 guys. No. It's still a strong farm system, but 
it still seems like we're in the same podcast nook that we were in two years ago, and they've changed pitching coordinators again. What is the evidence? What's the evidence that the Royals uh, have gotten better at developing their pitchers, and what's the evidence that they haven't? That these are the, still the same Royals, or, you, or is that too loaded? No, no, it's not too loaded. If you talk about pitchers, the evidence is is they have built a fine bullpen from generally from within. Okay. If you say Aaron Crow, Lewis Coleman, Aaron Crow, Lewis Coleman, Kelvin Herrera, Tim Collins was a trade acquisition. Um, uh, Greg Holland, who Another filled in one. as their closure once Joaquin Soria got hurt. Yep. So they had a very – Everett Tiford, they had guys who – their their starting rotation was so bad that they had some guys who were very solid in that, hey, we need you to go – you're coming into the third, we need you to get us to the sixth. Right. They did a good job at all those things. Building a bullpen, I think they've actually shown, hey, we can build a bullpen from within. There was not one – and I, now that Soria's gone – I don't believe that they're projected to have one member of their 2013 bullpen who's even arbitration eligible. Wow, okay. So they have built a good, inexpensive bullpen. That's the pro side. That's a good pro side. If you say, what is the proof that they can develop starting pitching? We are where we were in 2009 or 2010, because the reality is it's the last good starting pitcher that the Royals have developed continues to be Zach Greinke. Yeah, it's been a long time. Zach Greinke is getting ready to. He was know. drafted ten years ago. Yeah, he's that's you know he's he's on the free agent market. That's and he's been gone from the Royals for a couple of years now. So you know that's that's not a good sign. And the reality of this is that every move the Royals have made this off season up to now, acquiring Irvin Santana basically in a in a minor <laughs> trade. Yeah, Brandon Sisk. Well, you know, who I, I, was I, the man, by the I did see that, but I, I had no idea who that was. Oh, I did. I he, was, he, was like, he was a Continental League uh, reliever <laughs> who uh, the great slider. He I, I he was number one on your uh, number one or number two on your indie top ten one year. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I got very excited when I got to meet him in in Wilmington. Like, you know, <laughs> hey, you're an indie ball guy. He was not so excited to you know like. Don't call me an indie ball guy. He was a nice guy, but he wouldn't. He did, that's not what he really wanted. He'd be his claim to fame. He doesn't have a a a, uh, a closet full of continental league gear. No. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. But uh, but you know, Irvin Santana re-signing Jeremy Guffrey to a three-year deal. Those moves have been made because that the Royals need starting pitchers. And the reality is, is that if you said right now. Okay, who in their minor league system is ready to be penciled in, like at least compete for a job this spring? Well, Jake Odorizzi. Right. But Jake Odorizzi is a trade acquisition. They didn't, you know, that's not a fully homegrown guy. Right. Two starts in the big leagues last year, which is good. Good for him. Will Smith. Getting jiggy with it. Will Smith, ideally for you, is kind of that Everett Tiford, you know, pitch yep. the middle relief guy. But if you had to, he started. He made I think 15 starts from last year. That's a trade acquisition. He came over from the Angels. The only guy that they had who, you know, Danny Duffy, they did develop. He came up. He was in their rotation. He's gotten hurt. He's on Tommy John, you know, trying to come back from Tommy John surgery. John Lamb, top former top 100 guy, he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. Yep. You know, uh, Mike, Mike Montgomery, Montgomery, take a giant step backwards. Chris Dwyer has taken a giant step backwards. The reality is, is that right now, if you said, which I don't think is gonna, they're going to have a whole lot of starting pitchers come up from the system this year because of the moves they made, but if you said, hey, they do, Pasto to Rizzi, Jordana Ventura, who's a lot younger and a lot was a lot further away than a lot of those guys, I would say he's the second guy who who comes up and, and pitches for him. Yeah, it just it's just not 
There's just and not a lot of positive uh, on, on the reinforcement there on the on the starting pitching side. That, now the thing that the thing the Royals have done well is, and this gives them some freedom, is that they have now a lineup that you go all the way around. The only position right now to me that they don't that you can't say that for sure they have a guy that they can count on long term is second base, and even at second base. They have Johnny Giovatello. They have Christian Colon. They have a couple of guys. They have options. They have options there, you know. And but beyond that, you know, you just go Salvador Perez, they've, who's they've locked up long term. Salvador Perez is keeps getting better and better. I mean, that, yeah, he's one of the better good. young catchers in the in the. You got you got to hope Eric Hosmer. You know, you got to expect that Eric Hosmer is going to be better than he was last year. Mike Mustaka saw last year. Alcides Escobar is shortstop. I think we know Hosmer will be better. How good he'll be is a big question. Right, that's the question. But really, what it comes down to is, I mean. You know, wrote this in the overview. If 2013, I think it's fair to say you got to see some positive movement. You cannot be a year for the Royals where at the end of the year you say, well, we're a year closer and, yeah, 78 wins, but you know what, 2014, this has got to be a, you know, it, I didn't think it has to be a playoff year. Right, but, but it, has to be to be a, it has to be a, a year where there's progress in wins and losses, not just – we 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 see progress. Everybody has to see progress. Right. It has to be, to be obvious if progress. If they end up at 88 wins, but they were in the playoff hunt and the Tigers edged them out or something at the end of the year, okay. I'm setting it at 80. To me, they win 80 games. You get around 500, that would be significant progress. And that Because I just think you have to be realistic. Would you love for them to be the next Orioles? Yeah, sure, everybody would like to be the next but, Orioles. But oh, I'll say, if they win 80, though, you know, to me, I don't know if that's enough. I, I don't know... I don't know. Are, are we talking about saving Dayton Moore's job? Right. I was going to say because to, to me the fair question. If you're so, if you're if you're Mr. Glass, besides being very afraid of strikes tomorrow among your workers, what are you saying? Oh, tomorrow Friday. But to me, the fair question. I think there is no doubt. If you say, is the Royals organization better positioned now than it was when Dayton Moore was hired? Absolutely. Like when Dayton Moore was hired, they were a bad big league club with a terrible farm system. Yep. Now. They haven't had. They have not produced. You know, besides the occasional, hey, we got a Zach Greinke, you know, and they they brought in, you know, that they're really beyond that since. Yeah, but is, before Greinke, they hadn't developed a homegrown no. starting pitcher worth a darn for a while. You know, and their and their nucleus, their nucleus that they were building around when Dayton Moore took over was, was pretty poor, and the reality was is that they had nothing in the farm system to to replace that with. Right. Okay, they were in much worse shape. So we have established that Dayton Moore, in some way, shape, or form, can build a farm system. Dayton Moore and his organization. It is fair to say, okay, check. You get a check on that. Yeah. But being a GM, the the also fair question is, a legitimate question is, are you the guy to build the big league club? Right. That question, I think, is still, you know, at best, you, you, you put an incomplete on that. I think 2013... It's fair to say, okay, at the end of 2013, we need to have enough of a sense on this. A lot of this depends on, you know what? If Irvin Santana and Jeremy Guthrie have good years this year. Yeah, a lot of it depends on that. If they do that, then you say, you know what? That is demonstrating steps towards making it. But if those guys are very are poor in 2013, yeah. if Bruce Chen and Jeff Francoeur, who you both signed to two-year deals, are poor in 2013 – as they were in 2012. As they were in 2012. Well, then you, I think that's fair to say, okay, is this the guy to, you know, to, is it time to bring in another GM to take what 
Dayton Moore and his organization has built and take it one more step. I think that's a very fair assessment of it. Two more things I think we can throw in on the Royals. Uh, number one, I think it's vital that Kyle Zimmer is a the kind of pitcher that the Royals look for. There's a lot of four-seam fastballs and throw it two-seamer, to my knowledge. Right. There's a curveball, not a slider. Big oh, body, fairly fresh arm. Everybody everybody looks for these kind of guys, but he doesn't throw. You know, the, the, the Royals, as we, as we talked about, are anti-two-seamer. They're anti-slider. They are a four-seam fastball, curveball organization, and they're pitching philosophy in the minor leagues. And Kyle Zimmer fits that template quite Perfectly. well. Perfectly. So I, mean, really. I, I think if they could, if other people, you know, this was the guy that fit them the best. So it was, it worked very well this as they the drafted first time him. Pitching-wise, at the top of the first rounds, worked out well for him in a couple of years because we talked about how yeah, a year the long before, toss guys last year. Exactly. Thing, no, it wasn't even that though. A year I know. Before, if That's what they be, say. But look, the guys didn't get to him. Right. I mean, they were. I think if you right when they took Bubba, right? If they when they took Bubba, it was if one of those pitchers gets to five. You know, I think what happens? Yeah, you know, which we take. I think they were going to take him. I think that they were going to take a pitcher, but they didn't. When they got to their pick, now there were pitchers out there, but no one thought Jose Fernandez was. I don't think anyone was thinking that he was the number five prospect at that time. Right. But you know that they didn't get a chance to take one of those guys because all the four guys that they wanted were were all gone. Okay, before we go, you know, gazillion hours on, who do you like? Well, I mean, I, I do like uh, – I like a lot of these guys, but I like Sam Selman. I mean, I saw him throw very well. I've always kind of been a Sam Selman guy. Eddie Bain told me about him when they drafted him out of high school and didn't sign him with the Angels and really liked him. And, uh, you know, I liked I, – I saw him throw very well in the uh, regional here in Raleigh. Uh, talked to a, a scout who said that, you know, if, if, if the – SEC tournament. If the draft had happened a month after the SEC tournament, if you had SEC tournament regionals and his pre his last start of the regular season, and that was that lasting impression, there'd been a little time for some momentum at the start of May instead right. of right at the uh, draft day. Right, that Sam Selman would have been a first round pick if we had two or three more starts to build that momentum. Oh, yeah, a lot of guys saw him bad right. early in the year, and especially in the middle of the year, he was a midweek starter. And I remember talking to scouts who said. I would, I, when I would ask him, hey, did you see Selman recently? He said, yeah, I saw him at midweek against Middle Tennessee, back-to-back weeks. And, you know, he struck out a lot of guys in both those, those starts. Those don't give you good reads. Because That's it. It was very hard to evaluate him because you, know, you want to see him against SEC competition. So, so to me, there's Selman. I also have this question from a reader who wants to know, uh, Calixte versus Chesler Cuthbert. I mean, I, obviously we pick Orlando Calixte. Chesler Cuthbert, I, I guess I don't understand – um, he's, uh, we were betting on the bat last year, but this is not some kind of all-around guy. Well, basically, this is a guy – this happened to me a long time ago. How long ago? We were talking about Vince Perkins of the, the Toronto organization. But I'll never forget seeing my Blue Jays top ten on the page and wanting to rip Vince Perkins out of the top ten because he looked like Captain Caveman. No offense, Vince. But, I mean, he had one eyebrow – it was really big. <laughs> he just didn't look. He didn't have there the were, good face. Yeah, there, he didn't have the good face. Yeah, but, yeah. And that happened to me this spring with Chesler Cuthbert. Uh, granted, I don't rank the, the Royals, but I just didn't believe. I couldn't believe his cankles. I didn't realize he had Joe Blanton legs, and yeah, he's, he's not a pitcher. He's a thick lower half. And no, here, here's the way I can break it down. So I, I, I got off the Cuthbert bandwagon when I saw his cankles. Got, well. I'm not off of it, you know, I'm right. not off of it nearly as much as you are, but the thing to me is is that, okay, 
he is a bat first guy. Right. He's better defensively than he looks like he will be. But he's still he's, right. Ron Sayask. He's like, yeah, it's not. You know, he looks. He's not Kevin Euclid though in that regard either. No, but he's. You know, I, the the Royals like him defensively. I've talked to scouts from other teams who like him, others who don't. Also worth noting, the Royals always like Mustakas defensively at third base, and and and, and other people didn't. And the defensive metrics this year said that he was good, and so did the eye test. So. That's an important thing to right. throw in there. So I don't. It's, it's not that I don't think he can play third base because I think he can. I think he could be a solid third baseman defensively. But even if he's solid defensively at third base, the bat is what's going to get him. That's it. Okay. That being said, he's not that much younger than Caliste. Caliste is a uh, February '92. I think yep. Cuthbert's a November '92. Okay. So he's he's about a year, but a little less than a year. Okay. They pl- ended up playing at the same level last year. Now Caliste started the year in low A, moved up. Cuthbert was at high A the whole year. Caliste outhit him wherever he was in low A or high A. Caliste basically outhit him every month of the season last yep. year. Caliste is a shortstop. Not the best. A shortstop who can play third as opposed to a third baseman who might be a first baseman. Right. Caliste is a shortstop. Not, not that he's going to be the best defensive shortstop. I mean, he's not going to push Escobar out of the way in, in, you know, in Kansas City or anything like that. But Guys think he can play shortstop. the The body build, the build, the body is way better. You're talking about a guy who it's not Yamiko. You're Soriano not talking about Yamiko build comparison. You're not talking about Yamiko Navarro here. No, you're talking about a guy who's kind of got a wiry, strong build. Showed power this year. Really showed more power than Cuthbert did, and he's a shortstop. So if you're comparing those two, the argument for Cuthbert is you like the bat better. Which maybe you do, but if you do, you're you're all based on projection at this point because Chester Cuthbert has not really hit since July of 2011. That's a problem. You know, so you're basing it on that, and you're saying that bat supersedes the fact that Caliste is better defensively, runs better, has a better body for long-term projection, and oh by the way, has hit for better for power. Has performed better. Has performed better. At similar levels, at similar ages, you put all that together to me, and it's, it's not a that hard easy, of a, you know, not hard. Day is ahead of them. I mean, that kind of sums that up. I'll allow it, counselor. If you convince me, the, the two guys I, I got, I got to do two because it's my organization. Yes, I'll let you, you have do. two for the twins. I may not want to. <laughs> but Alberto Mondesi, who's number seven on this list, great name, great name, great season. Son you of know, a big leaguer. It, it's Alberto. One one plus that I've heard this from scouts like. You know of Alberto Mondesi. There is no question about his age. Great point. Everybody it, saw him t- traipsing around with his dad in big league clubhouses. He was born in L.A. There you go. Birth certificates in L.A. There's no, you know, they're not really fudging those. You know, everyone, you can find newspaper reports back then. Well, Mondesi, you know, son. well, those can be forged from <laughs> Kenya. <laughs> but sorry, political <laughs> note of the day. But you know, um, but Alberto Mondesi, when he was in the, when he was being scouted. As a you know, as a as a amateur. amateur free agent, there were a lot of guys who said, you know, he looked a little overmatched out there. Well, in a year, you know, the Royals were not. The Royals were like, no, we really believe in this guy. They paid money to show they they paid him two million dollars. They really believed in him. Yep. They sent him extremely aggressive assignment. I mean, extremely aggressive. If you had said that he spent the year in the DSL, you wouldn't have said that that was outlandish or anything. It was a six-year-old. Sure. I mean, you know, he, he turns he turned. 17 in July 27th. Instead, they sent him to Idaho Falls. They didn't send him to their AZL level. They sent him to Idaho Falls, which is the most advanced assignment they have on their short season club. Yeah, so it was surprising. I was really hoping we'd see him here in Burlington, and we did I, not. They'd be on the Broyles. They sent him there, 
and the reality was is that who's the million dollar shortstop they sent to Burlington? Uh, Humberto Ardiaga. That's right. Humberto who's better Ardiaga. defensively? He's the best defensive shortstop they have in the organization. But he looked all right. He looked all right. The, our our one game look. I was impressed with Artiaga, and I mean, he's in the what eleven to twenty range. Right. I'll put it this way: there are, if you count Christian Colon's shortstop, I don't think you should. But if you do, there are six shortstops in the current Royals top thirty. As I send it to Jim. I'm still waiting for Christian Colon to be sent to catcher. So that's a joke for me, Christian Colon and uh, Gary Brown. Um, but but Mondesi is a guy, if you want to project, you can project it almost any way you want because here's a guy who produced as the youngest player by far in his league. Right. Facing much older players, he was a productive player who showed plenty of tools defensively, showed feel for the game, showed feel for hit, showed some – he's got he's, – he's filling out, his, as, as I had scouts describe it, He's still, you know, he's still, you look at his chest and all, it's like, yeah, there's there's a lot of more development to go there. He's still a boy. But he's still already showing some pop. If you wanted to say, if you told me that two years from now he's one of the top prospects in the game, I wouldn't be floored. I don't necessarily, I'm not saying he's going to get there, but the ceiling for him is extremely high because when you have a guy who performs at a, such a young age, he's going to be the youngest guy in full season ball next year. Right, right. If he continues to perform. He's going to start full season ball at 17. Start full season ball at 17 playing shortstop. And not like, well, not Miguel Sano. He's playing shortstop, but no one thinks but he's wink, going to wink, play. wink, right. Playing shortstop is in, no, I could see him being a big league shortstop. How it's, does he compare to, El- I, mean, I, I want to know if how Dayton Moore would compare him to Elvis Andrews. Because Elvis was 17 in the Brave system when – that, Dayton me, first got there. That would be interesting. To me, I think Andrus a little bit better defensively. I think Mondesi maybe a little bit better, you know, as far as pop at that point, like a little bit more power projection, although Andrus has power projection, still does. Yeah, we had that discussion last podcast. Right. But, but, you know, he's to me a fascinating guy. The guy who's not on this list, I, I will give a little Your podcast. Your pick-to-click, yeah. My pick-to-click is Miguel Almonte, who oh, yeah. I, I, you know. You were trying to squeeze him into the top ten. Trying to, and it's not, it's really, he's throwing 20. 25 innings in the uh, in the U.S. right now. He pitched in the Dominican Summer League this year, but if you talk to scouts inside and outside the organization, if you saw him, which not a whole lot of guys saw him, understandably, right. if you saw him, it was like, wow, this guy, this guy's three pitches, feel for pitch, and oh, by the way, the fastball's 95, 96 at its best. I mean, that's good delivery, big enough build, 6'2", 6'1", 6'2", right-hander. He's a guy who, if he's not in the top ten next year, then he took a pretty significant step back. Well, the other guy I wanted to mention, the, the other kind of pick-the-click, I guess, for the the Royals for me could be a, another challenge guy with Jim Callis would be Fred Ford because the Royals love Fred Ford. Big raw power. And, and not just the Royals. I when I Because a little aside here, we'll explain as we do this. I think there's a perception out there, a lot of people, that we go when we're putting together these top hey, 30. Hey, Kansas City, who you got in your top who 10? Who you got in your top 10? Okay, yeah. here you go. Okay, thank you. You know, and then right. who you got in your top 30? Okay, write it down. Okay, I, think we, I might I think, move a guy around. Of, I like this guy a little better, so I'll move around. I do and, think people who listen to this podcast know that's not the case. But, but right. But obviously, that's not the case. One of the things we do is is that I'll try, and I know you do, and I know every one of us do, but I'll send it to four, you know, three, four, five people who, you know, who basically look at systems in their totality in baseball Yeah. and say, here's my top 35 or 40. Or, yeah, you either try to run it to a, you either try to run it through a pro scout who has coverage of this organization specifically 
or someone with a front office who helps, because there are people in front offices, uh, you know, who Doing do what? pro, who do what we do, right? And they have prospect lists for every team, right? So and and one of the guys who kept coming back, because I was a little bit colored by you know, but on Jim Callis, who's not a big Fred Ford guy, you know, who thought well, with good reason because the area scouts in Missouri who were very skeptical of Fred Ford uh, coming out of junior college this year, they saw holes, they saw swing and miss, and they didn't see, and they didn't see athleticism. I, and I wonder if that's because he was playing first base, but the, the Royals saw athleticism, put him in the outfield, and he played pretty well. It's still a lot of swing and miss, though. There's some swing adjustments the swing to be made there. swing and miss is going to be the, the big question with but, him. But, but yeah. they're pretty high on the power potential. And, again, uh, to me, there's something there. It looks like there's something there with Fred Ford. So we should uh, move on and Good wrap wins. up. Uh, the, the natural uh, thing, that the, the talking point that I know we've talked about a lot this fall already but we're going to look back five years from now when the Twins and Royals are battling for American League Central hegemony and look back at the 2012 uh, Appalachian League playoffs. With greatest playoff series. With of fondness. That was the highlight of the whole minor league season, J.J., for me, was the Burlington-Elizabethan postseason. A three-game championship series, walk-off in every single game. Right. And every single game, two of the three went extra innings. And a heartbreaking loss for... Burlington. Burlington, when they're up 6-1 in the ninth with two outs and nobody on, and blow that lead. So That's, that's, that's an appy league loss right there for that, you. That is that an is. appy league loss. Oh, we brought in a guy, and he can't remember how to throw a pitch over the plate. That's it. But so the Twins, to me, uh, a lot of guys from that Appy League team. Byron Buxton was on that Appy League team. Uh, J.O. O. Barrios on the Appy League team this year, and Max Kepler. Let's make clear, these two organizations – not, we're not saying this because we best them. farm systems. They're the best farm systems of the AL Central. Not, I don't think it's a question. Without question, and I would take the Twins over the Royals, JJ. And, and the I reason would take, I would is that is that a I don't trust any of the Royals pitchers for reasons I have already stated. I don't trust the organization when it comes to pitching. I believe they're wrong-headed in their pitching philosophies. But we'll move on from that. That dead horse has been long dead. Yeah, you've you've, you've <laughs> flogged that one. But. There are no pitchers in the, in the, in the twin system, <laughs> Kyle Gibson. except for Kyle Gibson. I like J.O. Berrios, but he's kind of far away. And I like Luke Bard. But, you know, the conversion to starting from relieving went so well for his brother. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with Luke, who, by the way, strained an oblique, making his own conversion, and then I guess it was an, a lat. Um, and then he re-injured that in instructs. So what could possibly go wrong? All that said... I don't think there are very many organizations that have two true number ones like they do in Sano and Buxton. Those are number one prospects. Beyond those are, those are both number ones. I would almost take them both over even Will Myers, not to mention I wouldn't, but yeah. I almost would. But I was say, I'd but take them match, over Castellanos. You said who are true, true number ones. The Royals happen to be one of the ones who do. If you said Kyle Zimmer was your number one prospect, depending on who you thought, you know, yeah, he that, was either the best or – the second or third best pitcher in last year's draft. That said, he did have bone chips yeah. removed after the end of the it season, is. which would give me a little pause. But I, I also think that Oswaldo Arcia, there are some organizations where Oswaldo Arcia would be the number one prospect, including the White Sox just in the phone division. I really I like Oswaldo Arcia. We've liked them for a long time. Um, Kyle Gibson would be number one, has been number one in this organization, was the best pitching prospect in the Arizona Fall League. I think it would be a bad sign for your organization if he was your number one prospect. Agreed. But – the, he has flashed in the falling three-plus pitches, the fastball, the slider, and the change. The feel for the slider, which has always been his best pitch, is the one that's coming and going the but most right now. He's, just, he's 13 months right exactly. now away from Tommy John. But he was, he-, he was healthy. 
He flashed three-plus pitches for coming back from Tommy John surgery. This guy throwing 29 innings in the regular season and 23 more in the fall league where he had 28 strikeouts and 23 innings. It's about as encouraging a comeback as he could have made this year. Uh, Then Aaron Hicks at five. I I happen to think that Aaron Hicks is probably not going to be an impact major league player anymore. I think he will be a solid big league regular. I forget who I comped him to to the other day that I I liked the comp. It was a Twitter comp. I made it to somebody. And as far as comparing his career, what his – but it was Shane Victorino. I think he's going to have a Shane Victorino kind of career in terms of 12 to 18 home runs in a given year, draw his share of walks, 350 is on base, 425 to 450 slugging. That's the kind of player he's going to be. I, I think that's – and a good defensive center fielder. Is that an impact guy? Is that a star? No. Two-hole hitter, six-hole hitter, one or the other, depends on the rest of your team. That's why I look at Aaron Hicks as. You you could do worse. And he's been a number one prospect in this system before. You could do worse than Aaron Hicks. I think that top five is outstanding. I think Eddie Rosario at seven is all – you know, if he's a second baseman – the reason he's at number seven is because I don't – if I had to choose, don't I don't think he'll be a second baseman. If he gets better, that's an impact guy. That's an everyday regular, first division regular. It's a first division bat. And then J.O. Barrios is the wild card. I put him at six because there's upside there and some surprising polish, and they need pitching. You know, like uh, Mojo Nixon said, Elvis needs boats. <laughs> the Twins <laughs> need pitching. See, now here's where I'm going to make my argument. I think the world system's better. And we're just talking – I'm just saying right now top ten. I think you go to depth in the world system, it's significantly better because, again, as you said – once you get past Luke Bard at number ten, I got relief pitchers for you. But you don't. Have you to. want lefties? I got Mason Beltakis. You got righties? You want righties? I got Zach Jones. I got uh, what's his name? Yeah, uh, I Michael Tonkin. I got no. I want starters. I got B.J. Hermson touching ninety-one. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> Protected on the forty man. But going beyond that, just looking at the top ten. Okay, Byron Buxton. I'll give you slightly better version of Bubba Starling. I, I see that. Version. That's my that's my that's my first problem. I think he's a much better version. I think he's a Andrew McCutcheon type, and I don't think I, I think Bubba Starling might be a better version of Jeff Francoeur, okay. but I think that's a big okay, difference. Me, me, okay. I, I think you're going from above average regular to star. Okay. That's the difference of those Will two Will Myers guys. better prospect right now than Miguel Sano? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Okay. Again, if I give you Buxton over Bubba, yes, I, I think we can. If we're matching apples to apples, I think it's fair to say Zimmer better than Gibson. See, that, to me, that's a tough one. I think that Zimmer has the higher ceiling, but that's a tough one. One guy's – how long – how far away is Kyle Zimmer? He's a better fastball. I think, he's gonna, I think Kyle he, Zimmer will uh, – here's my prediction. Kyle Zimmer probably Kyle pitches Zimmer's with a seven fastball, and Kyle Gibson – I mean, Kyle Zimmer, better Kyle. <laughs> Zimmer probably pitches with a seven fastball. Gibson's probably pitching with a 55. But I think the slider and change Gibson's are both better. I think Gibson's going to get there first, but I'll say this. I think Zimmer will actually end up starting at the very end of the season. You'll see him in the big leagues this year. I, I think I'm with you on that. I do think he'll get to so the I big leagues. So I don't think it's, you know. Okay. I'll, give it, I'll give it to you. I'll give you okay. the Kyle. Okay. You're so Kyle over going, my Kyle. So now we're going, okay, Jordano Ventura, J.O. Barrios are kind of both of our, you know, yes, the short, wired, short yes. right-hander. I think you got to go Ventura throws harder. I'll agree. Ventura's higher up level. I'll agree. Okay. I'll give you – I'm going to give you Arcia over Jake Odorizzi, kind of bouncing around. Yeah, that's around. not close. But, you know, but, yeah, I'll give you that. But Odorizzi, Odorizzi is the solid – you know, kind of when you were talking about Aaron Hicks as the solid – I'll give you – actually, if you're matching up like that, Bonifacio Hicks, I'll give you Hicks. Let's do it that way. Okay. Bonifacio Hicks, I'll give you Hicks. Bonifacio has a chance to be a better, more bigger impact player. More Maybe, but, but honestly, like, he almost matches up more with, like, an Eddie Rosario. Okay. Because I think Eddie Rosario, again, if he plays second base, he's an impact guy. If he doesn't, 
you know, he might be a fourth outfielder type. But there, there, I, I follow you. There's a chance that there's a little bit more impact with the Royals. I there's follow more you. impact with the Royals. The, the Twins guys are generally a little further closer to the big leagues. They are with Arcia, Gibson, and Hicks. You get to eight, nine, ten. I like Max Kepler. I like Max Kepler, but if you, especially Daniel Santana, nine versus Orlando Kelly. I'll put it this way, though. Okay, well, Luke Bard, Luke Bard versus uh, Sam Selman. They were both drafted this year. Mm-hmm. We had Luke Bard ahead on the BA five hundred, mm-hmm. and there's a very good chance they're both relief pitchers. Sam Selman could be a relief pitcher, right? Although Sam Selman, the the thing you have for Sam Selman is that Sam Selman came out and. Their argument was he finished he, very strong. Sam Selman, their argument was the Royals' argument was this guy's better than where we was on the BA 500 because he kept getting better as the season went along. And the thing that backed that up is he then went out. Admittedly, first year, but he went out and he that was, was great. dominant in you know. And again, short season ball, <laughs> playing the same level with Albert. I'm going to take overall track record. I'm going to take Luke Bard over Sam Selman. I'm not going to think twice about it. But. Daniel, San, Daniel Santana is the uh, Santana is the, is the question mark. I got a couple questions about him in the chat. Uh, I probably should not have compared him to Pedro Florimon because yeah, that, that, like, that Twins know. fans just didn't like it. But I wrote Pedro Florimon's kind of body, but with more offensive upside. So if you're a reliable, steady defender like Pedro Florimon and you have more offensive upside, I, my, my point to there is that this is a guy I think is a, could be a solid average shortstop, a 700 OPS guy who's an average defender at the big league level of shortstop. Right. I follow you. It's, it's possible he's more of an offensive second baseman down the line. I, so I uh, follow you. I'd much rather have Kalista, who's two years younger and was at the same level last year. That's my my. No, I, I'm I'm following you on that too. That's fine. I'm just I'm just giving you no, I'm giving you my I'm, spin on Daniel Santana. I, I like I like Danny Santana. So who is your? You're not eating cheese ball, but you get two because it's the Twins. If you want to. A guy well, on the top ten and a guy well, off the, the ten. Well, the, the big wild card for them to me is Adrian Salcedo, who has been in the who, top ten in the past. Who is not protected. Bo- not protected on the 40-man roster, but that's because he had both elbow and shoulder injuries this year. But if you saw him early, you saw him hit 95. You saw the velocity finally make that stride forward. Probably the reason why his elbow and shoulder got hurt. <laughs> I can't so, throw 95. Some man. bodies can't take it. Some guys just can't take it. So... Um, that could be Salcedo, but I've always liked Salcedo. Those a lot of strikes, projection, like work too. ethic. I've always liked that. Other guy has been ranked sometimes elsewhere, but I do like Jorge Polanco. Uh, just rereading my Appy League notes for I got from Matt Eddy. You know, the, the Twins' concerns with him are: can he hold up physically over a full season? He play, you know, this year, even in you know, he was drafted as a glove first shortstop. In the Appy League, he played primarily second base in deference to Nico Goodrum. He will job share with Nico Goodrum again next year in, I guess, Quad Cities is their new. Some of the quickest hands that I've It's either Quad Cities or Cedar Rapids. I forget which one they're going to in the Midwest League, but I know they're moving out of uh, Paul Ryan's district there in, in Beloit. So um, this, is a, you know, this is a guy who showed better offensive potential this year. Uh, to me, I want, I'm, I, I, my questions are, Carrying that over the full season because of he's not physical and where he winds up playing. And it looks like he's more of a second baseman at this point than the shortstop they thought they signed. So I do like Jorge Polanco. I do like, as we talked about in the last podcast, Levi Michael. So oh, really, yeah. and you didn't mention Levi Michael. I was going to pick no. my guy and then just. And, and <laughs> that would have been funny. Yeah, that been, no, and then I'm we got to watch Nico Goodrum. All those young middle infielders, um, you know, I, I think out of those guys. You reference our previous podcast about. Middle infielders with great hands and the thought that those guys eventually will hit. That's a yeah, Nico Goodrum explanation. That's right. And, and that's the thing is that we re- I really do think 
that out of those guys, Danny Santana deserved to be ranked the highest. I think he has not as high of a ceiling as some of those guys, but he, but he has hit. a high ceiling. He showed he could hit, and I think he can play shortstop. So and to the reality me, is, is that to me, when you when it comes down to it, when you're ranking these guys, like I told you, Umberto Arteaga. Yeah. Warriors have a ton of shortstop prospects. Best defender, Umberto Arteaga. Yeah. But you know what? He's not going to be the number two shortstop on the Mondays at rank because when it comes down to it, every organization generally has somewhere some kind of glove wizard yeah. who can't hit, and those guys don't make it right most of the time. And I'm not saying Arteaga's that. I'm not saying that you know Nico Goodrum's that. What I'm saying, though, is, is that you, projection plays a part in this, but you got to see some signs that the hit tool's coming together. And Blanco, otherwise you're Blanco not has shown those signs, yeah. but so has Santana. Again, I don't see a big difference in those two guys, but to me, Santana's done it at a higher level and was more of a shortstop this year. To me, that gives him an edge you know, when you're comparing uh, those prospects. But the one, uh, the one pitcher uh, who was an interesting guy to watch, I don't even think he's going to make the top 30, but uh, t- it's, uh, Taylor Duffy out of Rice. It might be Tyler Duffy. Uh, I get those two mix- first names mixed up. They're going to try to start him. They're going to try to start uh, Mason Melitakis. They did try to start Madison Bower and Matt Summers in 2011. Those both will continue in, tw- I mean, in 2012. Those will both continue in 2013. They pretty much put out an open casting call. The organization. You if want you want to start, yes, we will start you. And the guy that I think I liked coming into the year, Corey Williams, as a possible possible reliever to start a conversion. He's the one guy who didn't want to start in the organization, and he was at Beloit all year. He was in low class A all year. It's a lefty with three pitches and good stuff and a good body. Doesn't want to start, so that was a vexing one. Um, that's, that's a so tough decision. But they have they have some very uh, they have a real tough. It's, it's going to be a very tough for them, JJ, going forward at the big league level because they have no pitchers at the big league level. And they have no one. And they have no one ready I mean, to Kyle, step in yeah, other than Gibson. Kyle, Kyle Gibson. He's the most important prospect in the whole division Kyle in my Gibson, mind. I, I look at it right now. It's not a question of if Kyle Gibson will pitch for them in 2013. It's like it's how much? 30 starts. I mean, yeah. Because they don't have – not only do they not have competition, they don't – because right now they do not have a big league rotation, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it is fair to say. They don't. They're, the big leaguers they have who are coming back for next year, well, they their rotation – obviously Scott Baker already signed with the, with the Cubs. Um, I can't even remember half the stiffs they ran out there this year. I'm not trying to be personal, but that was the, a horrible pitching staff. So basically, outside of um, uh, Scott Diamond, Liam Hendricks, Cole DeVries, these are the guys they have under contract for next year. Sam Deduno got a bunch of starts for them. They didn't. He's not on the forty-man roster anymore. Uh, they just don't have any uh, starters. In, in Nick Blackburn. You, Nick say, Blackburn's like, available. He could be Rule Five. Take his take the last year as four-year, eighteen million dollar contract in the Rule Five draft. Um, the Twins are like, please, through. I think he'll pass through. But, um, no, but my point is, is that there's not a lot think, of options there. And, and here's the one thing: I know, like the Royals have gotten some criticism out there for the money they spent, like that they took over Santana's twelve million dollars for this year. Right. That they did three years. I thought three years twenty-five for for. Your initial reaction for, to that was like, what? Three years? I heard three years, and then you hear the numbers, and you're like, you know what? Three years twenty-five is not as bad. Three years to me still. For Jeremy Guthrie, I think start will start this year at 33. Still a little concerned about that, but sure. But you, again, the rule with free agent contracts is is that generally there's going to be a year on it that you go, okay, that might be bit. Nick Blackburn, there's a year on it. You're like, oh, that's not going to be good. 
But he wasn't a free agent, though. <laughs> that's the sad part. That is the sad part. Yes, yes, it is. But my point, though, is is that the Royals and the Twins, I feel like, were both in a very we don't have starting pitching problem. Absolutely. Right now, the we'll Royals. see which way it works out. The Royals were aggressive in that we want to solve that early. Yep. And now they may make one more move. There's a lot of rumblings that they're going to still make one more trade to try to get the front end guy, whether it's with the Rays, whether it's with the Mariners. You know, there's a lot of rumblings of them making another move. The Twins have been quiet, and it seems like that their approach is going to be more of the we're going to let the initial wave go through. Who do we say that we're going to draft in the Rule 5? Oh, well, oh no, you know what it was? The White Sox protected Charlie Shearick. So Matt Eddy came in and said, ah, the, the White Sox realized we can't lose Terry Doyle version 2.0, drafted last year by the Twins. So they protected Charlie Shearick, who threw 170-some innings in AAA this but, year for the uh, for the White Sox. But it does seem like the Twins are going to go more of the, we're going to fi- try to find bargains in the free agent market for pitching. And You can almost book it. They will draft a starting pitcher in the Rule 5 draft. You can almost book it right now because the, they need they need innings. They all and just the problem is, is that, that is, if you want to talk about what is the toughest thing to acquire in the Rule 5 draft, guys don't leave starting pitchers unprotected generally unless there's some kind of glaring flaw. That's crazy that the Twins' best pitcher this year was a Rule 5 draft right. pick, and Scott Diamond obviously made a trade to keep him. But, but he, he was their best pitcher in the big leagues this year. If they can find another Scott Diamond, they'll be extremely excited. And that'll give them two starters, and then they need three more. Well, and they don't need only one, so then they'll Cold of rise. <laughs> I mean, I but mean, they this, have – what was the stat we looked up? They haven't drafted a big leaguer, a big league pitcher since, what, 2005? Is it five or six? Well, it's Anthony Slamma, who was drafted in 2006 and signed in 07, and who's unprotected this year and is Rule 5 eligible. He's the last pitcher that the Twins have drafted – Developed, drafted, signed, developed, and got to the major and leagues. They, it's not because they have not drafted pitchers, because they have. There is a and there are first rounders in there. There's uh, Carlos Gutierrez, who's available as a Cub, who they lost Alex the waivers. Wimmers. Alex Wimmers, who's hurt. They also drafted a uh, Matt Bayshore high. They shooter drafted Hunt. Uh, Shooter yeah. Hunt. Shooter Hunt's the one that to me like because the, the the shooter the what was rough with Shooter Hunt was here was a guy they drafted and there was never like Alex Wimmers. Alex Wimmer has a shown only flash. very small flashes, but he's shown flashes. Four starts at the end of his draft year in the Florida State right. League that were very good. They were very good. If he, if he it doesn't all come together, you go, okay, injuries happen to pitchers. Yep. Those things happen. Shooter Hunt, from the moment he arrived, it, it almost, uh, you know, not and trying to pick pl- on a club, but it's like the Brewers have had some of these guys where it's like yeah. they draft a, who was the Indiana guy that the Brewers? Oh, yeah, Kyle, uh, no, Matt, uh, Eric Arnett. Eric Arnett, who you pretty much, you're drafted. You show up, and from day one, it's like, oh, this is not the joy we were looking yeah, for. This is, ne- you know, there was never a flash. It's like with Shooter Hunt, it was like from day one, it's like he can't throw a strike. Period. I mean, that- yeah, he he was plummeting on draft day, so people were onto something before the draft, and they took him. I I thought it was a good pick to take him there and take a chance, see if you could fix him. But no, no one could fix Shooter, who was Rule Five last year in the minor league phase. I believe the Cardinals, and then released in spring training. Right. Which, again, if you want to, if you're talking about a premium prospect, again, the, the minor league phase of the Rule Five, not to make the Rule Five draft, as I keep trying to, trying to. End We've stayed to, out of that rabbit hole, though. But one of the things to to watch for is is that when a guy's not protected, if you want to make sure he's not going to be taking the triple the triple A phase, where right. you don't have to ever offer him back, he's right. just yours. You put a triple A roster level on him. They didn't put a triple A roster level on him. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> it was uh, not a good way to lose a prospect. So, 
Um, that's how they lost him, and they're not. Uh, they they haven't. Anthony Slama signed just before the 2007 draft as a 2006 draft and follow fifth year senior. That's the last guy. Those are the last big league innings they've gotten, and that's uh, and the, pretty and, bad. And the, and the Twins can't do that because the Twins again are another team. If you want, that explains right there. If you're wondering, yes, you can make the argument that what happened is is that if you put there's so much money in Morneau and Maurer, and when right. the injuries have cropped up. They had a hundred million dollar payroll each of the last two years. When the Pretty injuries have cropped up, the concussion syndrome with Morneau and all that, that's really hurt them. It, absolutely true. But the reality of it is, is that if you're a team like the Twins, if you're a team like the Royals, if you're a team that you know a, a smaller revenue team, you have to develop homegrown pitching, and that's the that is right there. The Twins and the Royals. If you want to explain. Why were they under 500, significantly under 500 last year? That's what it comes down to. Absolutely. Yeah, they've not developed pitching for five years. And basically, since the 05 draft, when they took Matt Garza, Kevin Slowey, Glenn, uh, Glenn Perkins was 04. Oh, they used to. They, 04 and 05, they got all kinds of big league pitchers in a, in a, in a two-draft span, and they used to develop them. And Rick Nath did a great job with two, them. And, two and other then went to Kansas City after Detroit. Didn't Things didn't work out in Kansas City, and I'm surprised they haven't hired him back in Minnesota because – it's been broken since he left. Two other things that the Twins were able to do that are huge is finding – the other way you can do it is is find young, undervalued talent. I mean, going back a ways now, but the most important thing the Twins have done in the last 10 years, besides, 15 years besides drafting Joe Maurer, was when they rule five Johan Santana. Right. They've got a number one for $50,000. That's amazing. The other thing is, is when they got Francisco Liriano Correct. as a throw-in, and Joe Nathan. Don't and, forget. Th- I'm saying as a throw-in in a trade, you know, I, I would say Joe Nathan was a key, uh, you know, was at the time Liriano. That was very good scouting, like right. What they, the Twins basically did, JJ, was they they're kind of like the the kind of like the Jeff Luno era Cardinals. There were stars in place. They drafted obviously Joe Maurer. But in 2001 was the year that I believe they ruled five Santana and got Maurer. Mm-hmm. I think I think that was mm-hmm. Santana's debut season. So you bring this talent into the organization between Santana, the trade for Liriano, and of course acquiring uh, Nathan in that same deal. You bring in a, an ace, a number two, and a, and a closer. And then by using Brad Loratke as their model, they had the stars in place. They just were able to draft complementary players. And they're pretty good at drafting complimentary players, especially complimentary pitchers. Kevin Slowey was one of those guys for a year. Brian Dunsing, Glenn Perkins, uh, Matt Garza, the, uh, Nick, Nick Blackburn. Blackburn. These guys were good complimentary third, fourth, fifth starters. When you don't have those stars to build around anymore, the, you, uh, you struggle. So the real to me, problem for them is that Joe Maurer's still a star, but Joe Maurer at I'm this sorry. point in his career is closer to the end of his career than he is to start. I guess so, but he's uh, he's still no, he's still cornerstone. I think the, the main thing is that Joe Mauer is he, he, he that power year was a fluke. His MVP year, the power was a fluke. And if it wasn't fluky, it certainly hasn't been long term. He's never going to hit twenty some home runs a year. I don't I don't think. Maybe he'll get to a point in his career where he hits twelve every year, but um, he's he's closer to not being an everyday catcher. You know, it would be wonderful to have Wilson Ramos there to catch seventy games and he catches ninety and whatever, but that ship has sailed. Um, Morneau is never going to be a star again, and uh, you've lost and Jason Kubel as a free agent. And who are the 
who are the they haven't brought up I mean that's the real the real problem is is who are the next the next stars are guys who are you know Miguel Sano could be a star but yeah I think it's him I, but I think you know they, they answered some of those questions I mean Josh Willingham performed like a great oh, Josh, you know, Josh they got Willingham was a star this past more year. for their money than they bargained for Ryan Doma was a nice compliment the offense was not the problem this year it's all about the pitching and the thing is when you look at their farm system and you look at the big league free agent market and what pitching talent is available out there it's hard to see a path to victory for 2013, if I can make one more or political reference, for the Twins. Or 14. Well, we just don't know what the trade market looks like right. next year, those kind of things. So I, I think that's looking out too far. But in their farm system, you really only see one guy in Kyle Gibson who's going to be a big league starting pitcher for them in 13 or 14. That's see, fair. So, but I was going to say, to me, the, I'm, I'm willing to go on that limb. And the reason I say that is, is that, uh, you're right, I don't know what the trade market is. At the same time, charitably, you can say that they right now, if you count Kyle Gibson as one of the guys. If I give you Kyle Gibson as, he's going to be solid. Yeah. I'll give you Scott Diamond. You know, and I'm Which being, is a stretch. I agree. Stretch. That's generous. If I do that, they've got to find they've got three to more pay guys. for or steal because they don't have them. That right. own, they've got to find three starters. And really, because how pitching works, they need to find five starters. Because well, see, I, see, I, don't, I don't agree there because that's, that, that's what the Cole DeVries of the world are good at, the B.J. Hermsons, right. okay, fifth I'll starter types, the, those I'll kind of guys. they have some extra guys. They can do that. They can, they can do that. But that's to me, that's where that's their shtick. That's to where, that's where I'm like, I do not think that you can find in in the next year and a half. Well, I think, yeah, I, I, I think that between – I do think – I don't know who next year's Irvin Santana is. But whoever they think it, it could be better than Irvin Santana. The, the next year's version of we need to dump this contract because we're either going to non-tender this guy or we don't want to make a qualifying offer. That's the kind of guy. That's the kind of chance the Twins are going to have to take. I don't disagree with you there. In really difficult. I'm surprised they weren't in a little. You know, whether it was Santana or Heron or you know, they they've got to be in on a couple of those guys this year. And I'll I'll put it this other way: things have changed in Twinsland. Since the death of Carl Polad, the Jim Jim the, the now they're the people who are in charge of the Twins now still other members of the Polad family I forget the son's first name. It's a little bit more demanding atmosphere there. They built the new ballpark. They spend uh, nine figures on the salary on the big league sal- uh, payroll. They're looking for results. I know they just rehired Terry Ryan and all that kind of stuff, but they made changes in the big leagues on the coaching staff. They've made some coach changes in the scouting staff. Another 90-plus lost season, which I think is staring them in the face, you can see much bigger changes. You can see sweeping changes in Minnesota where the Twins' way, the way they've done things over these years, really changes significantly. Uh, so I need to have a lot of motivation to make trades and to improve their big yeah, league pitching. But I'm with you. I don't see it happening. I'm a little more optimistic than you are, but not by a lot. I, I right, I, what I, I'm I, saying is the more you lay out the, your case, the more I agree with you. It's hard to see them contending in 2013 or 2014. And by that, if that's the case, why do you hang on to Joe Maurer? He's a big contract. He's still productive right now. Some other team could justify taking him because he can still hit. Oh, I, I follow. If you did trade, which I don't – I mean, you do have the hometown factor, which makes it tougher. But if but their attendance dropped by a lot last year because you can't keep losing 96 yeah, it, games. I mean, it doesn't matter who – you could put out a field – you could put out nine native Minnesota. It could be T.J. Oaks and uh, A.J. Pedersen and everybody else from uh, – Eric Decker could come back and play baseball. I mean, it could be it former Golden Gophers left and right. It, it does not matter if you're losing 90-plus Pick games. up Rob Quinlan. You know, but – Joe, I mean, the reality is, is that no, I Joe Mauer trading Joe Mauer 
probably would at this point get them on the path to success quicker than you know than not if you could get the right trade for them. But I don't think it's going to happen. But no, I, I do think. And the Red Sox have a have plenty of uh, space. They only have five catchers on their forty-man roster. <laughs> you know, it is forty-man like, roster like jokes more on this on this podcast going, than ever before. Well, I was going to say we're going way, way long too here, long. But hey, it's Thanksgiving week. People are going to have a little more time to uh, to kind of digest this. The the wrap up question is is that looking at the central because these teams this isn't in a vacuum these teams are the teams that are going to be battling for at least one playoff spot really probably yep. only one right. but one playoff spot for a while to come the Tigers are obviously you know they're the team to beat because they have the thing that they have that no one else has right now is is that you saw it in the they playoffs. have Justin Verlander <laughs> they have they a star dominated team but you know what that will win that gets you that can get you the playoffs because. What you saw with them is, is they had, and that's when you knew they were in trouble. <laughs> when, you know, when Pablo Sandoval took them deep multiple times, and I was like, and they lose game one. Yeah. You're like, uh oh, this is problem, a very a big problem for them now. But Justin Verlander, and then you have a lineup built around really two of the best hitters in baseball. Sure. And a couple of other. The best, and then another one of the you know the top twenty right. in Prince Fielder. So. No one else has that. No one I would else agree. in the division has that. I would agree. But I do like the good guys. I like the good guys' chances just because they have Chris Sale. He's not Justin Verlander, but, he is. but he's not far off. They have Don Cooper, so just give Don Cooper some clay to mold, yeah, and, and he's going he's gonna to give you a productive pitching staff. The thing I worry about with them is a lot of their guys who were awful in 11 – yeah, we're solid in twelve. Right, it's hard but to imagine like which which Adam Dunn's going to show up, which Alex Rios is going to show up. If they get the bad ones again, yeah, that's a seventy win team. I do like I like Vicieto a little bit more than than most people. I guess I like Gordon Beckham still a little bit more than most. I, I do expect of the White Sox when you really think about it, they're not going to have the same year out of AJ Perzinski no, or I, any I production out of catch, uh, catcher Dunn Rios. But I, think that they're, I do I like think their pitching downward. I think. Right well, they now, turned they, it upward this year. They, they, they turned they were, it upward. And this might have been the dead cat bounce. This is their returning back <laughs> to uh, the natural level in 2013. The thing I like about them is is, is sale and their their their, their pitching potential. Um, yeah, I, I just I trust Don Cooper so I, much. I, but, I do too. Somewhat. But um, the other one out of there to me is the Royals. I mean, it's, I like those moves. I like Santana and I like Guthrie to an extent. Right. If only Gil Mesh were out there to give 55 million more dollars to. If you got the first two years of Gilmesh, they would have, that would be very welcome because in Kansas City. Is, I don't think that they need. How long ago was that? That was a long time ago. It feels like it was longer ago. Well, I mean, he retired. I want to oh, say his contract. So 12 would have been the last year of the deal. Was that a five-year deal or four? That was five years of 55. So seven, it was seven then. Yeah, 555. It was seven. Because I want to say that 12. It's not like we have computers all around us. Right, I didn't no. bring the iPad today. But, um, but, no, the thing I was going to say with the Royals is, is that if the offense just takes – the step forward that really it should, it, you know, you put in, you plug in Will Myers in 2013 and basically take away. Jeff Francoeur was <laughs> offensively maybe the Out worst. machine Jeff Francoeur. Yeah, maybe the worst hitter in baseball as far as considering his the position. Dixon, the Dixon Machado of the major right, leagues. You know, considering his position and what you expect out of the position. I'm not saying he was the worst hitter. But he was bad. But he was bad and he was playing a hitting, a position that you get to because you hit. Hey, he makes up for some of it with his great arm. That's. It anyway, is, it is good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but you, if you do that, you look at the offensively, and again, their starting pitching was so bad. I mean, I know they've got a long ways to go. I mean, they're, they're, the the key thing for them is is that 
I don't, their bullpen may take a little slight step back because their bullpen was so good last year. But if they go from being, I mean, they most weeks if they went through the rotation five, you know, five man rotation, two of those games on a normal week, Where, they yeah, never had a chance. Yeah, seven inning bullpen outings. The, the part to me I'll be interested to see is is Luke Hochaver right now. Like, do they tender him? He's the Jeff Francoeur of pitchers. November thirtieth is the non is the t- the deadline to tender contracts. With the moves they've made. I don't see how you end up tendering Luke Hochaver for what would probably be a six or seven million dollar deal. Unless you don't think you can find anything better for that money, which I still think you could. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would non-tender Luke Hochaver. The funny thing is, is like I, I did. I, I if he got non-tendered, you could almost imagine the Twins just snapping him right up. Oh yeah, if I'm the Twins, I'm like, I hey, could, you, could you throw 180 innings in the major leagues? Well, but not only that, but that is a guy. Maybe the change of scenery. He's a guy who you know there are change of scenery guys. Don Cooper's like, I'll give it to me. I can yeah, exactly. I can. You'll have a three and a half ERA next year. That's a great way to end the podcast. A, a world where Luke Hochaver is a productive big league pitcher. There's no, there's nowhere to go from there. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll go crazy on the Rule Five for you next week. And look for that Google Hangout if you haven't already set up your Google Plus. If you do, uh, if you're on there, let us know. Start following the Baseball America Google Plus, Plus page. Plus one us. That's the that's the terminology. Mm-hmm. That's better than liking, I think. It's a, Aaron Fitt would have set it up as a plus two. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.